Welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manichariot of Sports Info Solution, joined as always by our producer Justin Stein. And today, to preview the start of the NFL season and, of course, the start of your fantasy season, if you are in last-minute mode here, we've got Josh Larkey from the 33rd team. I don't even know. What's your what's your title? The czar? The, the, just the fantasy guru? So the official title is the director of fantasy and gambling at the 33rd team. I will say that when I when I make my dating profiles, I just put analytics director because I have a background <laughs> in analytics and people generally understand what that means. So I, I essentially built the the department and oversee it day to day. So there's about 20 people that that I work with to create some of the, the, the best fantasy betting and DFS content research, actionable information out there. Yeah. And we all know about the people at 33rd team, like Mike Tannenbaum and Joe Banner and all the current and former players and coaches that you guys have on the roster there, but none doing it better than than you, Ryan Reynolds, Jordan Vanek. Your team is stacked, even on the, the non-former player or coach front. Want to get into it. I wanted to ask you, you just made me think, being out on the prowl, like I'm a married man, being out on the prowl with as, as public a career as you've chosen, is is that interesting? Is that, is that off off limits to talk about? That's got to be something. Uh, I don't mind mentioning it. I have only gone on one date ever where the person knew who I was from what I did beforehand. So I'd say that it doesn't really affect anything. No. Generally, when I mention it, whenever whatever date it comes out, as to like kind of what I do, and that I have quite a large social following, it's usually met with when I, if I if they don't see it, it's met with I don't believe you. Yeah. Because they see my personality and how I interact and they're like, no. Or it's met with, wow, that's a curveball that 20 to 40 year old men who are obsessed with football worship your advice. So it's not usually met with, wow, this is the coolest job ever. I love this. It's it's generally some kind of hesitancy and skepticism. I remember it used to always be like, oh, like Moneyball. Oh, like Moneyball. I guess now it's, wait a minute, you have more X followers than me, that's not acceptable. Yeah, yeah. I don't I haven't ever gone on dates with a social media influencer type, but it might get it might get it might get competitive if they were to realize that I I have some type of real following. So I haven't had that yet. I don't generally that's not the the type of girl that I'm usually aiming for with my my dating pursuits, but maybe one day it will happen. So we'll we'll see. All right, we'll get over to the uh, football side of things because that's what we're really here to talk about. About a week from now, we'll be kicking off the NFL season. We've already got the college football season going, but with the partnership between Sports Info Solutions and the 33rd team, wanted to have you on, wanted to make sure our listeners had the the most key pieces of, of wisdom that they can get as we head right now into the, the home stretch before the season. The first things first, what's new with 33rd team? It's been, it's been quite an off season, I, I think, for... For lots of people in the football world, and definitely, thirty uh, third team is part of that. Yeah, a few things that we we did this off season were were fantasy team previews for all thirty two teams, kind of running through the different position groups with quarterback, running back, the receivers and tight ends, and sort of how should we be thinking about these groups at kind of a high level? And I think that's actually very important. Is one thing that I get wrong a lot and that pretty much everyone does is the individual player takes can often be really difficult. We're generally much better at kind of understanding how a receiver room might come together and exactly. that this is a receiver room to target because we we think 
Like uh, I'll give a very basic and easy to understand example. The Dolphins. Last year, we didn't really need to know much more other than the Dolphins are probably going to be an efficient passing offense with 50 to 60% of the targets going to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle each week. You should be drafting both of these guys in fantasy. We don't really know how the, the pecking order would shake out. Tyreek Hill was probably going to lead the team in targets is what most of us thought. He ended up doing that. Both of them had great seasons. And I, I think that's kind of where we're going to do a lot better as opposed to saying like, this is exactly how I think Hill or Waddle might do. So that that's one thing we did with our team previews. And then the recent stuff with fantasy is everyone just wants quick hitting info for their drafts. So we, we have a, a free downloadable color-coded PDF cheat sheet with top 160 rankings, players to sit and fade. It's awesome. It shows you it shows you who to fade, who to target, gives you instructions for different types of leagues. I, I saw that I, and it's super easy to follow. So stuff like that. I have a, I, a quick hitting strategy guide where if you go to download the cheat sheet, there's a link to it. You take seven minutes to read it and then you know how to use the rankings. My, my younger brother does not play fantasy. He started playing this year and was looking at my rankings and he basically texted and said, I don't even know what to do with this. Give me one more thing because I'm so new. And I sent him the guide and he, his draft looks pretty good. So I think with those two pieces of info in 15 minutes, if that's all the, the time you have, you can get prepped. And then I also wrote up all 160 players and there's an article on the 33rdteam.com. So if you want several paragraphs on every single player to know how I'm seeing them and you want the long version and you want to take your Labor Day weekend to read some hardcore football analysis, then something like that is a good way to prep. Yeah, for sure. For sure. There's tons of stuff on 3013.com, all sorts of resources there. I like what you said a minute ago about sort of what you what you can predict more consistently versus what you can't. This sort of probabilistic thinking is, it's difficult for our human brains because they're not built that way. But if you can do it, you, you can get a much better sense of things. I agree with you that sort of for a draft, for example, like you want me to tell you who's going to be the best wide receiver that comes out of this draft. I might be right. I might be wrong. But if you want me to tell you the general quality of the receivers in this draft, I should be able to tell you pretty close how how good that is. And I think that's similar to what you're saying. It's not just how good these guys are in a vacuum, it's how good they are versus the opportunity cost. And so understanding how to tier things out and where you can find people later. I was reading on your article about the different running back strategies. Like you say, you basically, in the high part of the draft, I forget all the words you used, but you go zero RB, hero RB, which is one RB, or what you call dual R, dual RB with two of them early. And just seeing you lay out the way that that might make your draft play out differently. Like this is who might be available to you if you go with this sort of a strategy. Like that's really at, at the heart of, of what people need to know. Yeah, I think it's really important to try and think of it as strategies as opposed to like, this is the Christian McCaffrey draft or this is one I got the first pick and I take Justin Jefferson because ultimately like you, you might not get the player you think it, it, with your first pick and you're not going to win or lose a fantasy league with that first pick. It's much more about how to build out a team. I see teams all the time that that start off and I'm like, that looks like a player you should take in the first round. And then four rounds in, I go, you know what? This team's already swimming uphill because of how they set themselves up. Like mm-hmm. you're, you, Everyone's draft is going to look pretty great through the first pick or two. It's really after that, how do you build on that? So I'm actually working on an article I'll release probably sometime tonight, Wednesday, August 30th, 
where it's basically from every single draft slot, one through 12, what sample drafts look like, where you're constructing your roster properly. Because one of the big things that I do in that strategy guide is, like you said, it's running backs involved with all three strategies. And I think it's because in many ways, that's the the position people mess up easiest. The some Some people call it the robust running back strategy. Other people just like to do it and they don't have a name for it. But the people that start off their drafts, running back times three, running back times four, it feels so good. And then you look at the rest of your roster and you kind of realize that you've loaded up on the most fragile and most replaceable position where everyone's going to get injured and where on your waiver wire backup running backs due to injuries are going to pop up and score a lot of fantasy points. And you've basically set yourself up where everywhere else on your roster is harder holes to plug and you need to plug all those holes. So I, I think that's just kind of like for the, the the more casual drafter, that's the biggest place that I see people consistently go wrong is I'll look and I'll go, wow, through four rounds, you took four running backs. Congrats. You're not going to win this league. After four weeks, your team's going to look awful. And a lot of people just don't realize that or don't even know that it's coming. All right. Well, let me pick your brain on something that I don't want to get too far into the fantasy cheat sheet, but the thing that jumps out when you look at the sheet right away. Number one, Jamar Chase over Justin Jefferson. Explain yourself. Yeah, a lot of people, they don't really like that. Last year, I had- I like you, for the record, but- (laughs) So I had Justin Jefferson ahead of Cooper Cup last year. That didn't look good the first half of the season, and then Cup got hurt. And I was like, guys, I can't really victory lap an injury because that's bad. But also, partly why I prefer Jefferson to Cup is they projected pretty similarly, but one guy was entering year three. The other guy has a long injury history and is nearly 30 years old. Not that I was predicting Cup to get injured, but if I had to make a choice, I was like, these two guys look great. And one of them's at a slightly heightened injury risk. So with Chase and Jefferson, we we look, we like them both. I'm not going to say it's so obvious that Chase should go first, but in a vacuum for 2023, there's a few things that I believe are in Chase's favor. One of them, he out-targeted Jefferson per game last year. And I think he's going to do it again. It's mostly T. Higgins for for stiff target competition on the Bengals. And when we look at the the Vikings with Justin Jefferson, tight end T.J. Hawkinson played, uh, I believe it was nine full games for them. And he averaged 9.4 targets per game, which was more than Kelsey had last year with the Chiefs. So already T.J. Hawkinson was kind of thrust into this like weirdly excellent role for fantasy. He's taken a lot of those short to intermediate targets And then we have round one rookie receiver Jordan Addison, who just got added to the Vikings. Obviously, he might not pan out, but I'm inclined to think that a guy playing on a team with the often double-teamed Justin Jefferson and then a very, very well-respected tight end in TJ Hawkinson is going to be facing a lot of single-man coverage against a team's backup, like the the second cornerback or a backup. Not rolling the coverage towards him. (laughs) Yeah, he's going to be getting better coverage than almost any other player in the NFL that's starting because teams are going to be so hyper-focused on not him. So uh, there's just a lot of reasons where I'm like, oh man, I I think Chase will once again out-target Jefferson. Chase is a faster, more explosive player. The Bengals offense is probably going to score more touchdowns. And as I built the case, I was like, you know what? Jefferson was always lagging behind Jamar Chase in college. As rookies, Chase had the better season. If we look at year two for Jamar Chase last year, he averaged over 20 PPR fantasy points a game. That's more than Jefferson had in his second season. So Chase has always outpaced Jefferson like per year of their Mm -hmm. career. 
And I think it, now that Chase is entering year three, everything's lining up well. I think this is the year that he overtakes him in fantasy. I'm with you. I actually, we did a series a few months ago where we looked at all the different mm-hmm. positions, made our top players based on the scouts list and the stats list. And the scouts were me and Bryce Rossler. And he said he wanted to jump. Now, we were talking about fantasy. We were talking about best receiver today. And he went he went Jefferson. I went Chase. Splitting hairs. Like, you love them both, obviously. But I, I think that's interesting. And then going back to just a, a week or two ago, we looked at things in terms of injury risk with our injury analyst, Brett Barnes. And it's really interesting because what we've done with our injury analysis is, we, is we've created these injury risk projections that teams use because they need to understand the likelihood that somebody's going to get injured as they plan for their season. And it really should apply the exact same way to fantasy that you are. I think that's probably, especially when you're talking about like in competitive areas where you're trying to beat really highly skilled people or in like contest formats where you can understand something like injury risk that everybody else has a hard time quantifying, you can really establish an advantage not to win every time. And it's weird because you're sort of rooting for injuries, but... (laughs) Or you could also be rooting for not injuries, the way you look at it. I think there's some meat on the bone there in terms of what people can do. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that's kind of like the whole premise of why we shouldn't want to load up our team too early with tons of fantasy running backs. Is if if I can choose which positions I'm going to focus on, I'm going to focus on, especially early. Like one of the big things is you just don't want to swing and miss on your early round draft picks. I don't even... Like if I take Jamar Chase at the 101 and I'm like, I'm sticking my neck out for him. And then Justin Jefferson goes at the 102 and Justin Jefferson has one more fantasy point per game than Jamar Chase. That doesn't really matter. I mean, was I right? No. Is my team hurting? No, not really. Like there's so much left in the draft that that doesn't matter. And with, with receivers, one thing we see is consistently with quarterbacks and with receivers the market is very good at evaluating them by adp in your fantasy draft the quarterbacks that go early and the receivers that go early are usually going to perform about what we expect running backs is much more of a crapshoot i'm going to go top of my head but i believe at nine of the 12 receivers selected earliest in drafts last year nine of those 12 finished top 12 in fantasy points per game whereas only five of the 12 running backs going earliest, finished in the top 12 for fantasy points a game. Luke, at quarterback, it's similar. Almost all the, the guys getting drafted early are going to do well. So what we really want to do is make sure that we're setting ourselves up for success. And one of the ways to do that is hitting on your receivers early and trying not to take too many big stances on running backs until the middle rounds. And that, I, I like I say, like take up to two stances on the running backs you like you can draft a third if you want, but I'd really recommend zero, one, or two through your first five or six rounds. Mm-hmm. And that you'll really thank me later as the season goes along and your team only gets better while other people in your league's teams only get worse. Makes sense. Definitely makes sense. All right, let's flip it forward. And since we're here, coming right off of final roster cuts in the NFL, keeping it topical, I want to talk about the final 53-man roster cuts that happened earlier this week, but also do that in the context of fantasy football. Understand what really caught your eye and specifically for the listeners where there might be some value right now based on that. Let's start off right at the top in the AFC East. 
what did you find there? So I think one thing that's interesting with the Patriots is that there's only two running backs on the roster right now. It's Ramondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott. I have not been a big Ramondre Stevenson guy myself. He had 210 carries last year. A lot of people think he had more work than that. They've talked about scaling him back. He had a ton of target volume, third highest target share among running backs last year. But I think a lot of that was the offense was so incompetent that it was almost like, hey, if we're just going to have to give Ramondre Stevenson dump-offs to ever consider completing passes at times. I'm now warming up to him a little bit more because I'm like, you guys, there's at this point, there's nobody else there. It's just him and Ezekiel Elliott. And I think Elliott's just a great pick in fantasy in those late rounds. Everyone's convinced that he's old and slow and washed up. But what I see is someone who has consistently excelled in pass protection, who's consistently converted at the goal line and on short yardage situations. And while fantasy analysts will often look at some of those efficiency metrics like big playability and go, you can't draft this guy in fantasy. I simply look at a guy that's that's pretty locked into a role and there's just nobody else there. If they didn't want Ezekiel Elliott to have a major role, there, there'd be other running backs on this 53-man roster right now. So I think if anything, it's it's great news for both these guys. Yeah, I think that it says a lot that they love Ramadre as a three-down player. You mentioned Zeke's pass protection ability. I think that that is part of the reason why they like having Ramondre on the field. He, he doesn't really give you a tell as far as that goes. But at the same time, that's not helping his fantasy production at all. Super interesting because their offense shouldn't be great again. But who else is getting the ball really? Who else is is going to have it? So that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. We don't see that somebody's going to get added, huh? Yeah, especially with how Little's invested. Where Ramondre Stevenson was taken in the fourth round back in 2021. Ezekiel Elliott's contract was only a few million dollars. There's really not much invested there. And one thing that we often see is, especially through the passing game, teams that have weak receiving rooms, more of the passing work goes to the running backs. And I don't think we should be surprised if Ramondre is really getting there in fantasy through the air and that you look and Ezekiel Elliott's chipping in one to three catches a game as well, simply because the the receiving core is so underwhelming that if these guys don't get open, Mac Jones, a not a mobile quarterback, will be checking the ball down to his running back, whoever's on the field at the time. Right. It's an easy volume that way for you PPR folks. All right. What else? Miami is also in that division. Interesting running back situation there. They they cut Miles Gaskin. I believe Salvin Ahmed's still on the team. They they did cut Miles Gaskin, who's now a Minnesota Viking. This is all happening very fast. The Gaskin side. That's who I was thinking of. Gaskin, yeah. Yeah. I'll actually kind of pass it to you for your take in a second on this situation. I've been trying to figure out at this point, like with, with no Jonathan Taylor trade happening, it looks like Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson are kind of competing for that early down work. Both topped 1,000 total yards last year. They were they were quite good. They both had career years last season. And then we have Devon A-Chain, the college sprinter, a great pass catcher, but he's very undersized. Probably not a threat to the early down work for Mostert and Wilson. So I kind of think of him as the the third down option at times where he's often going to not pass protect and just simply be an option on third down in the pass game. Do you have a lean on Mostert or Wilson? The The fantasy market is pretty convinced it's Raheem Mostert. I, I really don't know. And that's why I, I've drafted a lot of Mostert, but I've drafted even more Jeff Wilson. Because I view them as roughly equal. So if I can get Jeff Wilson three rounds later, and I think it's 
then I'll just take Jeff Wilson. Do you have kind of a lean on how the Dolphins are viewing that or any stats that make you think it's one guy or the other? You know, I think I, I agree with you in terms of it's much closer like to the point where if I can get one of them for cheaper, I probably want that. I do think that opening day, first game of the season, my understanding is that they're going to go Raheem Mostert. But if you look at it last year, the Dolphins, whoever their two healthiest backs were, they very much were rotating them. They were very much going with the hot hand. And it seemed like a situation where somebody got going and then they got injured and then somebody got going and somebody got injured. So in terms of Mostert versus Wilson, I'm, I think it's basically going to be like we alternate and we see who's hitting it better, who looks healthier, who's, who's getting it done, and we go there. With A-Chain, just from the preseason, he's got juice. Like he's got real juice and not somebody to draft early just because who knows what the situation will be in front of him. Like you said, I think he's the firm three there. But in terms of somebody who could be highly valuable down the stretch, maybe somebody to to take a flyer on, I, I'm I'm interested in there because I think based on the injury histories of Mostert and Wilson, I think the Dolphins would love A Chain to be the guy especially in they don't want a between-the-tackles runner. They've got no interest in that kind of stuff. So fascinating. Whole fascinating. Yeah, their whole offense is really, let's get speedy playmakers in space. And that's what they did with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle last year. And it looks like college sprinter Devon Chain's kind of next, where, yeah, he's a little undersized. I mean, honestly, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are not your prototypical-sized wide receivers. They're both around 180 pounds. So... They're, they're pretty much saying, we're, we're not going to out-muscle you necessarily, but you just simply won't be able to catch us, and that won't matter. So it's not even like w- Mostert or Wilson are slow. I mean, Mostert, I believe he was a college sprinter, he's a sprinter back in the day, if I remember correctly. You know, Jeff speed kills. They got speed everywhere. Yeah, he's, he's not a sprinter level fast, but he's still above average speed and burst. So it, it's really, we're going to have the the quick processing playmaker, or play distributor into a Tagovailoa, and then Everyone that's actually running routes and is in the backfield is going to be extremely fast. Love it. Let's head up north. What do you see out of the AFC North in terms of fantasy impactful cuts? I thought the one big one was just the Cleveland Browns roster. We we have Nick Chubb in his late 20s. I think he might add a little more pass catching to his profile. That might also just be wish casting. At the end of the day, they've always had uh, Nick Chubb with Kareem Hunt. There's no more Kareem Hunt. It's probably Jerome Ford. There's also seems like it. That's what I hear coming yeah. from Cleveland. That's what I've heard too. Is that Jerome Ford? He did not play last year as a a day three rookie, but they love him. He's 220 pounds. He has decent pass catching ability, and it, it kind of looks like he's going to step into like most, if not all, of that Kareem Hunt role, and that's very valuable for fantasy. And the unproven guy, if he doesn't do it, there's only one other running back on this roster. Right now, that that matters, and that's Pierre Strong, an extremely speedy back with with decent size, who was on the Patriots last year. So I think that's just a running back room to monitor. Late in your fantasy draft, I would take a shot on Jerome Ford. Absolutely, I think you're spot on with that one. And then I actually think it's a situation where if Chubb gets injured, it might not even help Ford that much in a sort of bizarre way because they might pick up somebody off the street. They might need to for that for that first and second down role. Very interesting backfield there. All right. What about in the South? Roster construction in the South. What do you see there? 
I think the Colts are telling us what we need to know about how this offense will look. There's four receivers on the roster. That's four. You. There's five tight ends on the roster. That is a lot. It's not every day that you see a team with more tight ends than receivers on their roster. They kept Jonathan Taylor. They they did not trade him away. I believe every single sign is pointing to we are going to be the run heaviest team in the NFL with rookie mobile quarterback Anthony Richardson under center. Richardson was not a good college passer. He was not a high volume college passer. They do not have good receiving weapons compared to most of the league. It seems pretty obvious to me that this, this team's going to run over and over and over again. And the the roster composition should be telling you that. I, I'm not drafting Michael Pittman in my fantasy drafts. I'm saying, hey, if the team's telling me they're not going to run or they're, they're not going to pass and they're going to run, well, then I'm just going to trust them. And it would be, I, I would be absolutely shocked if they were anywhere other than bottom five in the NFL in pass attempts. Amazing. They're going to be a team that went from 79% of the time in 11 personnel last year, the single wing, right? Like <laughs> five tight ends and four receivers. That's absolutely crazy. Yeah. People don't realize how pass heavy the Colts were last year. They they passed the eighth most times in the NFL last year. As you mentioned, 11 personnel was often what they were in, where there's three receivers on the field. I mean, they, they, this offense will, couldn't look more different than what we saw last year. So what I am curious about is I know in your in your fades in your in your preview column that everybody should check out by the way the fantasy football game plan on the 33rdteam.com t h e the number 33rd team.com I noticed there that you were really out on Anthony Richardson this year as a rookie not to say you think he's a horrible person but as a rookie fantasy dual threat quarterback can you explain some of the reasoning there yeah, a lot of people are surprised. They're like, oh, a lot of fantasy analysts like Richardson. He runs. You should like him. He runs. Did you know he's the most athletic quarterback that's <laughs> ever been tested? He is faster Cam Newton. How can you not like him? Unfortunately, rookie quarterbacks don't score fantasy points. I did this research. I looked at the past 15 years. Anthony Richardson often goes as the quarterback 10 or 11 off the board by ADP. He is drafted as if he is a quarterback one top 12 option in fantasy. The past 15 years, there have been four rookie quarterbacks where in their fantasy points per game, they were a top 12 caliber option. So essentially every three to four years, we get a fantasy relevant rookie quarterback. Unfortunately, it's not going to be Anthony Richardson because he didn't play in college. He, he barely played one year in college. He didn't throw very much. The only four fantasy-relevant quarterbacks ever as rookies were Deshaun Watson, a multi-year college starter who was an incredible college passer, Cam Newton, who had the best college football season ever by a quarterback. I think people don't realize Anthony Richardson actually didn't run very much in college. Cam Newton's final year at Auburn, he had more than twice as many rush attempts, more than twice as many rushing yards, and more than twice as many rushing touchdowns as Richardson did last season. They are not comparable as runners. They're not comparable as passers. We had Robert Griffin III, a multi-year college starter. And then the the, the fourth and last fantasy-relevant rookie quarterback was Justin Herbert. Again, a multi-year college starter. All these guys had way more pass attempts, way better college passing efficiency. The, the three mobile ones, if we take Justin Herbert out, all produced about twice as good of rushing production as Anthony Richardson. It would simply be unparalleled. Like 
the the best comp for him would be like Trey Lance or Kyler Murray, guys that started one season in college. The the problem is that Trey Lance still hasn't really played, so we don't really like that comp. And then the Kyler Murray comp, Kyler averaged 17 fantasy points per game, which would have been outside the top 12 quarterbacks last year. And Kyler was also a much better runner and passer. His passing efficiency was about almost 50% better than Richardson for yards per attempt. I mean, no matter how you slice it, we have never seen a quarterback look like Anthony Richardson in any way be fantasy relevant in year one. It's not that I don't think he can do it later on. It's just looking at the type of game plans they're going to run for him. It's going to be very run heavy and he simply won't have enough passing volume because really good fantasy quarterbacks run and pass. And then people will tell me like, Josh, I'm old enough to remember Justin Fields last year. Yeah, Justin Fields had the fifth highest touchdown rate passing last year. He got incredibly lucky with passing touchdowns. Justin Fields would not have been very fantasy relevant without the passing touchdown spike. It has to happen. And I do not see that happening for Richardson in year one. That's interesting. And that was the second year too. Fascinating stuff. All right, let's head out west in the AFC and talk about my old friend Sean Payton heading out to the Denver Broncos. Can he resuscitate that offense? And and what did you make of their cut down? This is going to be a very consolidated offense. I know earlier in the offseason, we were like, oh my God, there, there's so many playmakers here. Well, it's pretty narrow. At this point, where you look, there's, I believe, four. It, they might have, it's either four or five, but the only receivers anyone's heard of, really, would be Jerry Judy, Corland Sutton, and then rookie second rounder Marvin Mims. At tight end, we have... And then they, they just picked the up Halloway, too, from, from the Saints. Maybe There we go. I, th- I thought they claimed someone, there. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Marcus Callaway, but... We, we kind of know what these guys are. It's going to be Judy Sutton Mims. And then at running back, it's really just Javante Williams and Samaje Piran. Javante Williams must have beaten science. He tore his ACL, LCL, PCL like 10, 11 months ago. He's apparently fine. That's that's very impressive. Oh, really? Great. He had the triple and he's already and he's already good? Yes. He, he basically had what J.K. Dobbins had, where Dobbins never looked right last year. And... Uh, Javante somehow with a worse athletic profile than Dobbins kind of beat his recovery timeline. Good for him. Samaje Piran's going to get a ton of work. It's really just the two of them. Javante's never had more than 12 carries per game in the NFL. He was always a committee back in college. He's a very good running back, but he is a committee back. So we're going to see a lot of Samaje Piran. The only other running back on this roster is Jaleel McLaughlin. He's under 190 pounds. He's an undrafted free agent. We will not think about him for fantasy. That is not the type of player that gets a ton of touches in a Sean Payton offense. So we're we're really looking at a very thin group of receivers and a very thin consolidated running back room, which for fantasy makes them all even more attractive picks. I kind of love it. I can picture Sean Payton coming in there. So like I'm a buyer on the Broncos in general because I spent time with Sean Payton four years in New Orleans. And what I learned over those four years is we did a lot of stuff wrong and Sean Payton and Drew Brees made up for it. I'm not saying that Russell Wilson is going to be Drew Brees this year. Time will tell. We'll see how that one plays out. I could see it playing out a lot of different ways. There's there's no certainty. Sean doesn't know how that one's going to play out. But he talked to me about Sutton and Judy as receivers, Javante Williams, some of the changes they've made to the offensive line to fortify that. I don't see any reason why Sean Payton can't put together all the necessary pieces around that. Like, I think back to like the best Saints offenses when I was around. Our receivers were Marquise Colston, Devery Henderson, Lance Moore. These guys were not 
in a different league than Sutton and Judy. In fact, Sutton and Judy have a lot more to offer than any of those guys, really, when you when you look at the full package. So I'm really curious to see if those guys can really be unlocked this year because they're two players that I think are certainly talented enough to be strong number twos and maybe strong enough to be number ones in the right situation. Man, the Russell Wilson thing is just, we'll see how that plays out because that's going to make a huge difference here. Not surprising to me that that Sean is going with thin skill positions and he'll make them earn their role. He fortified, he paid the money to fortify the line and then everybody else can earn it and deal with coach. So I love that. Last team in the AFC, you want to talk about Kansas City before we roll out of here. What are your thoughts on their cut down? There are seven receivers on the roster. It looks like it'll be Sky Moore and Marquez Valdez scaling most likely in the two receiver sets. But with so many roster or with so many receivers making the roster, with there not being like this clear alpha receiver who's taking all the targets, I, I think it makes the the Chiefs receivers interesting dart throws late in drafts and at least monitoring them on the waiver wire. I think there's a world where Kadarius Tony plays more than last year. There's a world where Justin Ross builds upon that historic freshman season back in college, like seven back surgeries ago since he made the team. Richie James has actually been been quietly awesome for like a, a backup slot receiver. So if something were to happen to Sky Moore, I could see Richie James being fantasy relevant. So there's just a lot of guys to focus on there. And I think late in drafts, most of them make pretty good dart throws. They have a team full of slot receivers and MVS. So <laughs> I, I love it. I, I find that the Chiefs are just, they're playing a game with Mahomes being like, okay, you're awesome, right? Let's build the defense and build the offensive line and see what new group of receivers we can throw at you to see if you can make them all Super Bowl caliber. It's pretty unbelievable. <laughs> That'll wrap up the AFC as a reminder for everybody, check this all out at the 3013.com. That's where you can find our partners. They've got all this great content. Check out the player pages and team pages while you're there as well. And let's head to the NFC. Josh, NFC East, what were your big takeaways from the cut down there and the impact on fantasy? The the Dallas running back room is very, very interesting. There, There's Tony Pollard. He's great. You probably don't want to give him 20 touches a game. Then uh, we, we have Rico Dowdle. A moderately sized back without draft capital. We have Deuce Vaughn, who is my size. I'm not a professional football player. I never will be. My my career ended in high school because of my size. Uh, Ronald Jones, I'm not sure what's going on with him. I know he's suspended for the first few games of the season. Ultimately, it feels like this is a great place to add a veteran running back, a career hunt, a Leonard Fournette. It feels to me like this running back room's not finished. So people that are that are victory lapping, uh, Rico Dowdle or Deuce Vaughn take they had, I, I would be careful. Maybe this is the guy that's going to emerge. I, I'm inclined to think something else gets added there. This is a team with Super Bowl aspirations. This does not look like a Super Bowl caliber running back room at this time where Tony Pollard's amazing. He's the feature here, but this isn't the type of running back that you really want to be force feeding 20 touches a game to. Yeah, the thing about running back rooms is you don't need them to be great to win a Super Bowl. So I think I think the Cowboys are aware of that. I think they like their guy there. It's so funny that that Zeke is gone, signing somewhere else for cheap, and we're talking about how the Cowboys need a veteran running back that they could bring in sort of in the same echelon. But that is the nature of that position and how it's going in the NFL right now. I could see with the amount that I expect Brian Schottenheimer to run the ball, I could see one of those young running backs emerging. 
but I don't know how you choose who it's going to be now. I don't, I don't think the Cowboys know who they would expect it to be. So I don't know how we could. Let's head back out to the New York Giants. What do you see out there? One thing that I think is interesting is that Wandale Robinson, there's, there's no pup. He is just going to apparently be playing very early in the season. Makes it harder to figure out that slot receiver rotation. At this point, I think the only two guys in this this receiver room that you could consider in fantasy would be Darius Slayton and Isaiah Hodgins. Darren Waller obviously is going to be the the main weapon here in the pass game, but I, it's it's tough. I thought it was Paris Campbell. Now I'm not sure if he's the main slot guy with Wandale Robinson healthy where they took Wandale. It felt like a bit of a reach of a draft pick, but again, he got round two draft capital. That That's quite important. So it, it just means that I, I think we should stop drafting Paris Campbell late in fantasy at this point because this is this is not a slot receiver room that I want to try and figure out with Wandale back. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't I don't trust this passing offense at all. Going back to your initial comment of like evaluate the passing offense. If you can predict that, then maybe you can predict the individuals. I don't want any part of this passing offense. <laughs> yeah, I think we can just say that Darren Waller's a good pick at tight end because any right. tight end that might lead their their receiving room and targets, we should be inclined to like that guy for volume. Why, why, why should we try and pick out the pieces of a pass game that we don't even like? Where if we think Waller is going to be the big producer and he's tight end eligible, why would we want someone who's lesser and then plays a position with a higher bar for fantasy points and receiver? So yeah, I, I just simply am not going to draft much of these guys in my managed fantasy football leagues. Agreed. We're flying around the NFC to the north. You have a sleeper in Green Bay that you want the people to keep an eye on. What, what do you What do you have there? So this is someone that came on my radar recently. I thought it might be someone like Patrick Wilson in that number three role at running back. It turns out it is undrafted free agent Emmanuel Wilson. He was a D2 college player at Ford Valley State. That is not a college I was familiar with. But you don't want to be. But the, the, you might be like, all right, well, where's the positive? He's 5'10", 229 pounds. That is a tank. And he had 139 rushing yards and 21 receiving yards per game last year. That's 160 total yards per game. I get it's D2, but it's a massive guy who can hold up to some kind of volume. And I I think the the Packers offense is going to go through the run game. So if anything happens to either Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon, I think we could see Emmanuel Wilson kind of become a flex play for fantasy. So someone to just kind of keep your eye on where there's two injury contingencies for him with either Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon. Not the the sexiest offense. I I don't think... They're going to be one of the the better scoring offenses overall, but I, I think it's going to be a team that relies very heavily on the run game, considering Jordan Love is very young and unproven. He's barely ever played in the NFL, and all these starting skill players in the receiving room are in year one or year two. It's an incredibly young, if not, I think actually probably by far the youngest passing game in the NFL, so I think we should expect the run game to be heavily involved. If... The season does not go well for Jordan Love and the Packers. Maybe the the narrative here is that after Aaron Jones has been shut down and they're trying to get some work for younger players, Emmanuel Wilson comes on right around week 16, 17 when, when the fantasy gods are smiling on him. Man, it, it, I, I could see it. You remember the floor offense is at its core sort of McVay-Shanahan offense. So you could see any running back that can get the workload producing I'm staying away from them, though. (laughs) I'm staying away from this whole division, but let's stay there for a minute in Minnesota. You noted that they needed a veteran in the backfield. Might have just picked one up. 
Yeah, it's still a weird backfield. So Alexander Madison's the the quote unquote entrenched starting workhorse. We're a two year, seven million dollar contract. A lot of people are like, why don't you like Alexander Madison more? It's very strange to me that every single running back not named Alexander Madison wants more money for fewer touches. But somehow Alexander Madison is gonna ruin the entire running back market because he's on a two year, seven million dollar deal and he's gonna get three hundred and fifty touches. I kind of find that hard to believe. I don't think he can hold up to that volume. I don't think they're going to give him that volume. So it's a weird running back room. 2021, uh, maximum, he was at hundred and less than 180 touches. Like, Yeah. And I, I think one other thing that I find hilarious is people are like, did you know that Alexander Madison averages over 20 fantasy points a game when he starts? Nice. Which he does. When he starts. But, but he has, so he's hit a 50% snap share in five career games. Three of those five were against the Lions. And one of those was against the Seahawks. And if we look at those years, the li- those three Lions teams and that Seahawks game, those were all teams that allowed top three most fantasy points to running backs for those years. The The funnier way to put this is basically if he stays healthy for all 17 games this year, he'll play the Lions fewer times than he did in his five spot starts because he started three of five games against the Lions. He can only start two of 17 max versus the Lions. I think it makes all the, the running backs behind him Kind of interesting. Ty Chandler, undersized, built like a receiver, but he's lightning fast with some pass catching. I, I think we can kind of cross Kane and Wangwu off our boards. He's more of a special teamer. They just signed veteran Miles Gaskin. I still think they might sign another veteran, but I think someone like Chandler and Gaskin are very interesting late in drafts when I just don't have a lot of faith in Alexander Madison. But if we zoom out, we like this offense. It's a defense that's going to allow a lot of points, and it's an offense that year after year scores a lot of points to keep pace in games. Okay, so let's zoom out. Let's say I'm drafting tonight, and I finish my draft and don't feel great about my running back room, want to like scour around, and I start to think, I listened to Larky today, and he seemed to think there are veteran running backs that are going to be signed that could be impactful this year that are currently free agents. Who are the running backs? that are free agents today that that go into... Are, are there people out there on the street that you would even think about maybe if you had the space picking them up now? Yeah, so I think my favorite would be Leonard Fournette. Uh, Tom Brady has high standards. We, we've always known that. <laughs> and he really likes Leonard Fournette. I don't really care if armchair scout at home doesn't like Leonard Fournette. This is a player that had 189 carries and 73 receptions last year. He had 262 touches on a playoff team. I know it's the Bucs. It wasn't a great playoff team. But again, this is a Tom Brady-led offense where this guy had 262 touches. I find it hard to believe that he's not playing this year. He feels like someone that could end up on the Cowboys, that could end up on the Vikings. If something goes wrong with Jonathan Taylor, maybe he ends up on the Colts. There, there's a lot of teams out there where I go, you know what, Leonard Fournette would look like the second best running back on this team. Maybe even the first best. Uh, another good one, the Rams. Very easy to see him immediately splitting time with Cam Akers atop the depth chart. So he feels like the the big elephant in the room where I'm like, guys, 262 touches. He's a big physical back that's going to get some of those goal line carries because it, yeah, he doesn't do anything super well, but he's a good pass blocker. He's good in the short yardage situations and he doesn't fumble. And, and coaches like that. I think Leonard Fournette, number... 124 on your most recent rankings list, just a slot behind Ezekiel Elliott, who is rostered right now. Uh, so definitely interesting there. Potentially 
league winning advice. There's a late round stash there. All right, cool. Let's keep it going. Let's go down south. What do you see out of that division? What caught your eye from the final cutdowns? I think with Carolina Panthers, it's very interesting. We we talked earlier about how teams that don't have great receiving cores often focus more on the run game. I would say the Panthers qualify when you have a rookie quarterback and a receiving room that's headlined by 33-year-old veteran Adam Thielen. And if we look at the running back room, obviously Miles Sanders is a top it. He signed the, the biggest free agent contract among running backs this offseason. He's more of a two-down back. The, the Eagles tried him out in a receiving role early in his career and kind of realized that the guy can't pass block. And he's just not actually one of the better receiving backs either. And they were like, you know what? Rather than getting him in space in the passing game, we can just get him in space in the run game. And that, that seems to work better for him. Chuba Hubbard's not a great pass catcher either. And then there's only one other running back right now on the roster. And I think if you're in a PPR league he and you're, it's a deep one, you should stash Raheem Blackshear. He might actually be their third down back. I don't think that's the craziest thing to, to see him suddenly emerging as that third down option. I remember pulling up his college profile. He had a very unique college career. He led his team in receptions one year as a running back. This is a, a very highly talented pass catcher. And like we said, if, if the receiving core is not great, sometimes the running backs get more targets. We could suddenly look and go, wow, Raheem Blackshear is kind of getting three catches for 30 yards every week. And in PPR leagues, that's six points before factoring any touchdowns and before factoring in any potential rushing. So suddenly it starts to get a little interesting where you're like, wow, if he's getting three catches every week at least, I can actually start him in a pinch depending on bye weeks and injuries. So he he kind of feels like the the running back the least people know about that I could actually see kind of being like early career Naheem Hines with his usage. Yeah, there are dudes that that I didn't know about that have come out of the, the woodwork before and I, I could definitely see that. Not somebody on my radar, but maybe hashtag good. Staying in that division, Tampa Bay. Don't know what to make of that team at all. What did you learn from their final cutdown? Yeah, they're they're a strange team. I mean, the the second lowest scoring team in the NFC last year ahead of only the Rams because we all saw the Rams collapse when Stafford, Cup, Allen Robinson, the whole offensive line, everyone got injured. Well, the Bucks were outscored by every other NFC team, but them with Tom Brady, they now have Baker Mayfield. I'm concerned. The running back room's thin. We we have Rashad White as the entrenched starter. The the guy that's interesting to me is undrafted free agent Sean Tucker undrafted due to medical concerns. He had a heart condition. It seems like he's doing okay. He's got reasonable size and speed. He was a an all-purpose back at Syracuse. And the the two guys on the depth chart with him and Rashad White are Keyshawn Vaughn, who I think that ship has sailed. I think it sailed three years ago. <laughs> and uh, then Chase Edmonds, that ship probably sailed two years ago. So I think there's potential. The wor- he's got the worst vision I've seen in years from that position. Yeah, I think there's a reason that he doesn't really play anymore. Yeah. Uh, that team saw him for a while and said, you know what? We probably shouldn't have this guy on the field in any capacity. He's pretty so, big, fast, and strong, but man, this guy can't see where he's going. Yeah. So maybe then, he's LASIK. Maybe it's like Evan Neal. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it is. So I think Sean Tucker is an interesting late stash. And then I wouldn't say to draft any of them in fantasy, but I think just in terms of an NFL take, this receiver room could collapse. We have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin has a long injury history. Mike Evans is around 30 years old. And after them, it is Trey Palmer. I want to say, you might remember, was he drafted round seven, six? I don't remember. 
<laughs> yeah, he was either drafted round six or round seven. And then the other guy in the room is Rakeem Jarrett. Someone I liked, I believe, was at Maryland back in the day and flashed early, was a very highly touted high school recruit, and then just didn't pan out in college. And Rakeem Jarrett was undrafted. But he's got some size and speed. Trey Palmer and Rakeem Jarrett, not players we're really going to start in fantasy. But for real NFL, it's worth mentioning that these guys are kind of one injury away from being like a clear-cut starting option on a team that's going to have to do some passing, considering the running back room is also in shambles. So a very, very thin operation going on in Tampa Bay. From trash to trash, we'll go from Tampa Bay to Arizona. A lot of people are jumping on Arizona four and a half wins, take the over because you just don't see four and a half wins as the over-under very often. And you got to assume like a couple of ball bounces go their way. They're an NFL team. They're trying to win, but I'm not so sure. I think it. I think that four and a half might be too good to be true, and the Vegas people know what they're doing there. What did you learn from from their final cut down day? Well, I'll say one thing. Uh, some books now have dropped them to three and a half for their win total. Oh my goodness, three and a half! I can't say I've ever seen a win total that low before. So, especially it's not even That's- just that I haven't seen it that low before, but we're now in a seventeen game. Season. Yeah, we have an extra game. I've never seen. So we that have an extra game. game, and it's still like probably the lowest I've ever seen. So yeah. That's uh, mind-boggling. It is now at three and a half on a few books. The the only we'll we'll keep it short with Arizona. I like Zach Ertz. I I don't know how this this mid thirties non athletic tight end tears his ACL late last year and somehow won't start this year on the pup list. We we might see Zach Ertz week one. I'm actually we're gonna rapid fire Google this. I'm gonna read off his target numbers last year because it blew my mind when I saw how much they leaned on Zach Ertz. For some reason, maybe it's because they're paying him a fat contract. This is him last year. The first six weeks of last season, four targets, 11 targets, 10 targets, six targets, 10 targets, 10 targets. Zach Ertz was one of the most targeted tight ends early on in this season. It might happen again. It's not a great receiver room. There's going to be a terrible quarterback back there who's probably going to be looking to the short area of the field we might see a Zach Ertz once again be relevant in PPR leagues in 2023, as crazy as that sounds, off the ACL tear and the tanking, and it's a tanking Cardinals team, but stranger things have happened than Zach Ertz suddenly being like the tight end seven early on in the season. Fascinating. Love the upside there. All right, awesome. We made it around the league. If you got time, I would love to hear just off the dome, three top pieces of fantasy wisdom that you want to impart on the listeners before you get out of here the first one don't worry about your running back two or tight end slot in fantasy football yeah you're you're rarely going to be in a draft where you look at the end of your draft you go wow i've got an elite player at every position that doesn't really happen if that happens you probably need to draft with better people or it's a 16 league (laughs) yeah or up the league buy-in if you're drafting with idiots, then be like, hey, instead of $100, let us let us all put in $250 this year. So, uh, but, to, but to be serious for a second, those are two slots that are generally replaceable. If you're not going to roll with an elite tight end, I, I would just take a couple of the guys late and not worry about that slot. Tight ends score fewer fantasy points than quarterbacks, running backs, receivers. So if you're going to fade a position, you might as well fade the position that scores the fewest fantasy points. And then the other really replaceable spot is your RB2. That's why I don't worry much about drafting running backs early. There are so many good middle and late round running back options. And someone listening goes, all right, give me a couple names right now that you're going to start week one 
that go super late in fantasy drafts. The Jamal Williams and Samaj P. Ryan. Alvin Kamara suspended the first three weeks. Jamal Williams is going to be an absolute workhorse there. That's a guy you can take for the first three weeks and kind of figure out how injuries start to hit the running back position for the waiver wire. I like that. The Kamara thing is almost like an inverse injury. Yeah, it is. And then Samaje Piran, Javante Williams had the exact same stats his rookie and sophomore season. 12 rush attempts per game, 19 receiving yards per game. He was a committee back with Michael Carter during his time in North Carolina. This is going to be a run-centric offense in many ways with a great offensive line. It's Sean Payton. We we kind of know how these offenses start to look in many ways. And Samaji Piran's going to get a lot of touches. So that that's another player where I think I'd probably prefer Jamal Williams week one, but sometimes you can't always get the preferred option in your late round. So Samaji Piran's another great pick where I don't think he's killing you with his fantasy production. You go, wow, you know what? I'm surviving early. I'm getting 10 to 12 fantasy points in my RB2 slot, and I'm staying more than afloat because the rest of my roster is stacked. The rest of your roster will be good if you have a running back two or a bad offenses have usually had two startable running backs. Yeah. Uh, so like, yeah, I see it. Second piece of wisdom, I would fill your fantasy bench with backup running backs, rookie receivers, and if you faded tight end, a second tight end. If you go tight end early, if you have Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, you're not allowed to draft another tight end. Don't do it. Why Why are you drafting? You're just what are you, crossing your fingers and hoping your your early round pick gets injured. You're, again, the lowest scoring position in fantasy. You're not Can't wait to the flex. roster spot at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to, you're not going to flex your, your, your tight end. So only take a second tight end if you didn't draft one early. Backup running backs in your fantasy bench. We're just going to say, hey, I don't know who's going to get injured, but we know some guys will. I love just grabbing guys like Tank Bigsby. Travis Etienne could get hurt. He got he missed his whole rookie season. And Tank Bigsby immediately steps in. If we look at the the, the Steelers, Najee Harris could get hurt. And then Jalen Warren kind of steps in and becomes Najee Harris. Like we want the backup running backs and then rookie receivers. We talked about macro takes and being high level. I'll give you a high level take, Matt. I would be absolutely floored. I'd be shocked. If zero of the four rookie receivers who went in round one of the NFL draft, if all four bust this year, I will be shocked. I don't know who it's going to be. Whether it's Quentin Johnson of the Chargers, Zay Flowers of the Ravens, Jordan Addison of the Vikings, or Jackson Smith and Jigba of the Seahawks, all I can tell you is at least one of these guys, probably more, is going to pop in fantasy football and in real NFL life. Be very good. Yeah. I really know that's what makes me the most excited of those names in his situation. But you could really see a path where all of them could become very productive players this year. Yeah, so in my my fantasy football game plan, that seven-minute strategy guide, one of the rules I said is, hey, every single draft, take one of those four rookie round one receivers in those later rounds, round eight, nine, or 10. Just one of those guys falls a few slots, and you're like, you know what? There he is. That's my guy. I often take two of them in a draft. It's very hard to see none of them hitting. So we're just going to kind of rotate through them and and know that they all have a, a very nice range of outcomes where they are a fantasy starter that you took later on in your draft after your fantasy starters were assumed to have been taken. And that's a listeners, very good thing to have. Yeah. I don't know if the listeners can tell, but this man is talking strategy and not just tactics right now. Number one, don't worry about RB2 or tight end. But number two, kind of just, you know, sort of, Holding hands with that, but on the other side of the coin, do draft the backup running backs, the second tight ends if you didn't get one early, and the rookie wide receivers 
because these are lottery tickets. What's the third big piece of fantasy wisdom you want to give? Do not be the first team to select a kicker or fantasy defense if you play in a league with them. I'd wait until at least the double-digit rounds. Usually, I just grab one of each in the final two rounds. I do some big money casual drafts just so I can understand how people that are not in the industry do stuff. So I recently did a $250 draft on Yahoo. You might be like, oh, you're probably getting some pretty good players if they're putting in $250. Well, I remember defenses going off the board in round seven and round eight. Kickers going off the board in rounds nine and rounds 10. Don't be that guy. There's legitimately good players you can be taking. But you, you don't want to draft Justin Tucker? You don't think Justin Tucker is good? Uh, the, the the people that think there's a some huge edge here, the we don't really know who the the, the top fantasy defense or top fantasy kicker is going to be on a season long basis. Usually, like the the kicker one versus kicker eight, there's one maybe two fantasy points separating them. The, these margins are thin. I like to just stream kickers and defenses, and you might say, Josh, that sounds intimidating. Give me the quick hitting tips on to do that. Fantasy defenses, I like to stream defenses when they face bad offenses. If the offense is an underdog in the betting markets, if it's a rookie or young quarterback, or if it's just a bad offensive line, that is when we want to pounce with our fantasy defense. And with kickers, go to the betting markets and look at teams that are huge favorites in games with high over-unders. Anytime there's a lot of scoring to be had, especially if it's in a dome, you want the kicker. That's who to stream. It's very simple. You should not be wasting a 7th or 8th round pick. Darren Waller is often a 7th round pick in fantasy drafts. He he might be the tight end 2 in fantasy behind Kelsey. I, I'd rather bet on someone like that than go, let's lock up the, the 49ers defense yeah, in the 7th round of my draft. Don't fill your starters at each position, including defense and kicker, before you start drafting some backup running backs. If, you, if you've learned nothing today. But I, I hope nobody started this podcast that dumb. I hope we only increased smart people to being smarter. And I don't know. If you're in that remedial crowd, don't tell anybody. We won't just (laughs) pretend that never happened. Josh, it's been awesome having you on. Got you on short notice. Kicking off the season at the 33rdteam.com. Everybody should check that out. The, The Edge Fantasy Tool is the absolute best, strongest, freest fantasy resource out there available. The Trenches Matchup Tool where you can look at how the offensive front players play against the front seven of the defenses and understand how that impacts your fantasy matchups from week to week. And then on top of that, at 3013, you got people like Josh, like Jordan, like Ryan that I've mentioned before, just all kinds of eye test meets the smell test meets the real hardcore analytics. You guys are crushing it over there and we look forward to working with you again all this season. Thank you. Yeah, we've mentioned Ryan and Jordan a couple times. For anyone out there that's like, what do they do? We're, we already have win-loss predictions for every team from Ryan Reynolds on the site. In season, he's going to be doing power rankings for the NFL, not for fantasy. For the NFL, Ryan's one of the reality football minds out there. So if you want real NFL power rankings, he'll have those dropping on Mondays. And then Tuesday through Friday each week, he'll write up every single game and give you a, a, a comprehensive matchup preview and how we should attack each game in the betting markets. Do you know how authentic like a football dude Ryan is? I know you do, but for the listeners, Ryan hit me up a couple weeks ago and was like, I want to talk about the trenches rankings because in the trenches tool, he disagreed. 
with how some of the offensive lines were ranked versus what he saw from them. And he was like, this stuff's going to be up on the website. I better understand it. So we talked through it. He understood the trenches tool incorporates tight ends and running backs also. And also that sometimes I disagree with it, which is okay, right? The scouting and the analytics shouldn't always be in lockstep. But he, hardcore, looks at this the way that football people on the inside do. So full recommend on, on his work. Yeah, Ryan's watched every snap of every NFL game since 2014. He has a six-figure bankroll that he uses for betting. So he's he's like a borderline professional better. So we're super lucky to have him. And then the best DFS player I know is Jordan Vanek. Jordan Vanek has way too many big wins on DraftKings for me to even count at this point. He's the maniac that recommended Geno Smith against the Lions early last season before people realized how good Geno was. The best call he had all year, though, was when he said, Josh, can you make can you tell our graphics guy to make a cover article for my Saturday DFS piece with Jacoby Brissett on the cover? And I said, Jordan, you know he's playing the Buffalo Bills, one of the best pass defenses in the NFL, right? And he said, well, and then he sent me a ton of advanced research he'd done. And what do you know? Jacoby Brissett's only extremely good fantasy game last year was against the Bills, a very strong defense. Brissett had over 300 yards, three total touchdowns, and you go, wow. This is someone to be trusted. He's going to find the outlier plays. Nobody researches and talks about football and DFS like Jordan. So that that kind of rounds out the the core of the team. And then we have our, our own data scientist, Ben Wolbranski. He's dropping full projections player by player on the site right now to get you aware of how these teams are starting to take shape. So all that's on the 33rdteam.com. All the, the content I mentioned is going to be fueled in many ways by the tools we talked about, the edge, the trenches tool. We have competitors charging crazy amounts of money for tools that are worse than the edge, just in the user experience. And then the thing that I think is hilarious is that the edge is mobile friendly. Most people use their phones, not desktop computers. I know you and I use our computers because this is what we do as our nine to five. Most people use geriatric millennial nerds. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the edge works on mobile. So many people trying to convince you why you should pay for their super complicated advanced tool that doesn't work on mobile. I, I can't believe that's a thing. You, you should be using our tools that are free, extremely mobile friendly, extremely intuitive. Within a minute or two, you immediately know how to immerse yourself into these tools. You simply have to be checking them out on the 33rdteam.com. You heard it here first. All right, we'll sign off. We'll get out of here. Josh will be talking to you throughout the season. For everybody at the 33rd team and SIS, our guest, Josh Larkey, our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Matt Matichari of Sports Info Solutions, and thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Off the Charts Football Podcast. Podcast.